Welcome to The Cannabis Professor, a marijuana science and culture podcast, broadcasting from the state of Pennsylvania to the rest of the nation and the world. Well, my name's Scott. I'm your professor. Thanks very much for joining me today, my friends. Now, in this episode, we're going to take a look at some new legislation introduced here in Pennsylvania that could expose a potential Russian weed conspiracy going on here in America, and it could also just take down the largest cannabis company in the world. Oh yes, it does kind of sound more like a plot for like a James Bond film, right? Agent 00710 on the job in Her Majesty's Secret Weed Service. But before we start, just for some clarification, we're going to be talking about some interesting conspiratorial-like info. And I also happen to work for a separate large cannabis company called Verano. And since we're going to be talking about big cannabis companies as well, I just want you all to know that none of the ideas, opinions, info that I share here or express has any relationship to my job, the companies I work with or work for. I was not informed about any of this through work or any channels related to my job. Uh, I'm just a private citizen, as far as this podcast is concerned, who loves to get high at night and read a bunch about everything available. So you all know that if I have to give a disclaimer like that, hopefully that means we got a good one set up for you today. So pack your pipes, warm your bangers, and let's get into it. Our curious cannabis conspiracy begins with an unassuming Pennsylvania politician. A low-end man in the Philadelphia County representation named Danilo Burgos. And it seems that our man Burgos has a bit of an axe to grind. You see, earlier this year, he introduced this bill that would aim to revoke cannabis licenses in Pennsylvania for any companies that have ties to Russian businesses. Now, the timing here is quite palpable, as we can all see, I think. Right back on February 24th, Russia invaded Ukraine, and much of the world reacted, right? We all took note. Seems Burgos also took note and was quoted saying that to date, the unjustified war that Russia is waging against Ukraine has displaced millions and killed and wounded thousands of civilians. And now I'll be honest, you know, when when politicians in small areas like Philadelphia take action like this, it does usually come across as a bit of uh, classic political propaganda. Now, no, I'm not saying I'm a fan of the current Russian aggression and all the suffering, unfortunately. You know, I don't want it to keep going on either. But, you know, randomly introducing a bill in Philadelphia to kick Russians out of Pennsylvania medical marijuana does seem like a hell of a stretch, my friend. It does make me wonder exactly what is this man smoking on that gave him the idea that we're so connected. Right, Because that is some crazy inspired paranoia I think we're used to hearing from our probably most involved weed friends. Now, this is a bit of pandering to the general anti-Russian sentiment that's currently, I'd say, getting more popular because of the conflict in the Ukraine, or in Ukraine, I should say. Now, of course, we all have a little bit of these old echoes from the Cold War, and this falls right in line with those. But it's honestly a common social tactic that shows up periodically beyond just the Cold War idea. It's kind of like like an awkward xenophobia. Now, some folks out there may be old enough to remember the last time this sort of happened. It was right around the year 2003. 
Uh, you may remember ordering Freedom Fries at one point instead of French Fries. Uh, I know it does probably seem like a really silly fever dream, especially after COVID. But nope, it was a real thing that actually happened, right? Uh, as the U.S. was on the verge of waging war in Iraq, right? War seems to be a theme here. Uh, France actually stepped out and opposed America's invasion, uh, America's invasion strategy. Uh, now, nobody likes being opposed. Nobody likes to hear the word no. And as you would expect, it made the U.S. stuffed shirts very unhappy that such a major nation was calling you out and saying, I don't like what you're doing over there. So, in a bit of social retaliation, uh, starting with a man called Neil, the trend of French fries being called Freedom Fries started uh, in his own restaurant, a place called Cubby's in North Carolina. Now, this is where it gets tasty, in my opinion, because when, I think it was the Associated Press, went to Neil and asked uh, exactly why do you think it's time for Freedom Fries? You know, why are French fries the way to express this sort of anti-French sentiment since they had opposed us in our plans for the war? And he said that he was actually inspired by a previous movement that he knew about from World War I. Uh, during that time, uh, Germany was the opposition, and so there was a lot of anti-German sentiment hanging around the country, as you would expect. For both world wars, I think that was a constant. And so, as a result, utilizing this weird kind of social strategy, uh, Americans renamed classic German foods that were popular. So, sauerkraut, if you're aware of, was actually renamed to Liberty Cabbage. And the Frankfurter was renamed to the Hot Dog. Now, that's kind of crazy. I did not expect to see it go that deep with this little bit of research, but it does show that this children's game nonsense has been going on for much too long. That's at least 100 years, if not a little longer. And honestly, uh, I'm still kind of in a little bit of shock about that hot dog factoid. I did not realize that it was only on the basis of war. You know, I, I'm very big into food. I'm sure, as you'll hear me and Chef Brandon in a very soon-to-come episode talk way too much about food. You know, it's kind of insane that that was the impetus to change the names for food. And then also, just for the record... Although we did go after French fries for this French thing that happened in the early 2000s, French fries actually originated in Belgium. So, you know, seems that you were shooting off bullseye no matter how well you aimed. Um, now, anyway, I think that on this side of the counter, us U.S. advocates, um, we're kind of used to this in cannabis because there's been a lot of ridiculous propaganda and it has been a huge obstacle to try to move forward and advance cannabis. Really, it tells us two things that we're kind of used to, two things we're kind of experts at at this point. Um, and that is that one, that we're really good at sniffing out propaganda and stigma. But unfortunately, it does show that propaganda does work because we've already been fighting with the D.A.R.E. program, all this misinformation with cannabis. So when you add it to like a war-torn kind of mentality, a time where, you know, violent conflict is around, it does obviously have a factor in influencing certain people's minds and changing certain people's attitudes or even behaviors. I mean, although we went freedom fries at that point as far as the social political spectrum, there were, uh, there was, I should say, a unfortunate uptick in also anti-Muslim sentiment. You know, a lot of people getting attacked on the streets 
with no direct cause. So we do see that when you try to pull this kind of bullshit in society by renaming things childishly, it does unfortunately create suffering somewhere. Although I guess that is somewhat its intention, unfortunately. But the number two thing is that we also can tell that it is possible to overcome these things. You know, it's one of the reasons why I run a podcast. Uh, it is a long trudge, as we all know. Unfortunately, when you plant an idea, it grows seemingly no matter how little you feed it. But uh, it does seem that this anti-Russian bill was introduced in a very similar tone, right? It's a, just another one of these political moves made in the same way. Another sign of the times, I guess you could say. And so I kind of felt, okay, this is just classic paranoia. But then I dug a little deeper and things did take a bit of a turn. You know, another surprise was waiting for me because there just may actually be a little bit of merit to this possibility of Russian ties to Pennsylvania cannabis. Uh, upon initial inspection, the largest cannabis company in the world, Cureleaf, which I believe is by their stock price or their square footage, one of those two, uh, it seems they may actually just have a couple of ties to Russia. And they do operate dispensaries and I'm sure a grow in Pennsylvania. Now, my first step, and I'm sure most people's first step in doing research nowadays is just to pop into Google and type in something very basic. So I typed in Russian ties to Pennsylvania cannabis, and I found many hits on the matter. Uh, you can find articles online talking about two specific gentlemen from Cureleaf when you look this up. Uh, the number one man in the company is a man named Boris Jordan, and the number two in that company is a man named Andre Bloke. Now that is B-L-O-K-H, so I'm not necessarily sure exactly how you pronounce that properly, but I'm going to go with Bloke. Uh, so Boris and Andy uh, are the two big heads of the company, kind of the two businessy man, uh, magnates, I guess is a way to say it. Uh, Boris, he is an American. He was born in Long Island, I think it says, and he does a lot of business in Russia and a lot of business in America. And then old Andy, or Andrew, he is a Russian man born in Russia. Not sure where exactly, but he does a lot of business in Russia and America as well. So generally, they're two peas in a pod, right? Two uh, international businessmen. Boris is the executive chair of Cureleaf and the largest shareholder. I think he holds around 31% of the shares of the stock. And as I mentioned, he is a born and raised American citizen of Long Island, New York variety. Now, Andre, on the other hand, Russian-born and owns 20% of the stock, or 22 maybe. So together, they own a little more than half, it seems, of Cureleaf. And Andre is worth over $700 million. So when we're talking business, we're not saying like shoestrings and bubblegum level business. We're talking billionaire sort of business. And for a little more background, well, Boris, he spent several years in the 90s and the early 2000s working in Russia, Europe, all over the place, obviously. And so he currently is involved in several businesses in the spectrum of the Europe, Russia, US sort of triangle. Uh, now, the other man, uh, Andrew Bloke, well, starting in 1998, he actually served as the president of a Russian oil company called Sibneft. Uh, this is a company from which apparently other Russian oligarchs, a man named Roman Abramovic, uh, also derived a chunk of what seems to be his 12-plus billion dollar fortune. Um, once Andrew was at Sibnet, 
Um, he and a partner consolidated Russia's dairy industry. I did not realize that would be such a close relationship, but it was called Unimilk or One Milk. And they merged with a company called Dan, Danone, I think it was a French company, in 2010. But more so, uh, what this is really saying is just these folks, these folks have been making some serious coin for a very long time. You know, well before cannabis, I would say, was within view of something that was going to be worth making money off of at this point. However, as I did more and more research, I found articles dating all the way back to 2019 talking about concerns in America with Russian money flooding into the U.S. cannabis market. You know, from Cali to the East Coast, it was obvious that there were outside actors coming into this market. Now, it wasn't clandestine at the time from what the information showed. What they mentioned was because banking in America is so tough with cannabis due to the Schedule One federal substance issues and the fact that you can't really use banks traditionally, there's a need for uh, investment. There's a need for capital, right? Everything runs off money at this point in history. So where are you going to get enough money from if you can't get a bank loan to be able to finance your company? Well, you're going to look elsewhere, right? To international investors, folks who don't have to worry about banking because they have more money than some banks. They have more money. I mean, $12 billion, that's probably more than like a collection of countries. So one reason why they were even part of this thought outside of just profitability, right? We all know cannabis is going to be an amazing market over time. But the main thing is because of this kind of weird loophole in America where you can be in cannabis, but you can't be in cannabis from a banking standpoint. So it did create the opportunity for these sort of weird things to happen. And seemingly, uh, this is a theme, you know, finding money from other areas in the world. You know, this is not the first time it's happened in America in a burgeoning resource market. So that being said, you know, these connections to Russia are obvious. But the big question is, like, are they bad connections? Are they, you know, negative? Is there some level of, you know, I guess, conspiracy happening underneath that's going to leave us all in a much worse state? Well, that was the thing I could not find much on. You know, a lot of the ties that these gentlemen had to Russia dated back, you know, 10, 15 years. They consistent with a lot of this business. And so the connection to Russia was making quite a big noise. So much so that Kirleaf actually released a statement earlier this year on their website trying to address these rumors. You know, obviously right after the conflict hit and Russia started attacking Ukraine, you know, a lot of people, much like myself, internet warriors, ran to the internet to see what they could find. And the big sort of wager here is, if they were found to have a connection, if they are riding dirty on some Russian coin, then they might just be subject to some of those economic sanctions you've heard about in the news. And this seems to be a way, I guess, a lot of governments without pulling a trigger, without actually doing something directly anti another country, uh, a lot of times you just pinch the wallet, right? You say, you can't have any gas, or you can't have any oil, or you can't have as many cars or bales of lumber. And so these economic sanctions could screw purely financially because it could muck up the flow of cash, right? And we all know you need that flow of cash to be pretty liquid. And also that means mucking up the operations. Now, Cureleaf said that because their two leaders are U.S. citizens, right? They both hold uh, citizenship and passports. They are not subject and cannot be subject to U.S. economic sanctions. And funny enough, as I was looking around, there was another website that said, although they are U.S. citizens, that doesn't mean that 
U.S. citizens have not been subject to economic sanctions. Now, you can tell kind of in the way I'm speaking that this is not really an area I have a lot of expertise. International economic law is interesting, but I wouldn't say I have a huge handle on it. And so, can they or can't they be sanctioned? I'm not sure. I'm sure there's somebody out there with a couple letters behind their name who could fill us in. If you happen to be one of those folks, by all means, DM me uh, on Instagram at the Cannabis Professor. I'd love to uh, hear an expert let me know a little bit more about this. But um, both of these men with Russian ties do have their U.S. citizenship. So ideally, that should mean no worries on the side of Kirillov. And so these articles dating back to 2019, talking about Russian money being a part of the U.S. cannabis market, well, it seems there was some conspiracy back then as well. Because one was called, as Russian money poured into cannabis, Giuliani allies scrambled to partake. Russian investors have flocked to the U.S. cannabis industry in recent years. And one venture involving associates of Rudy Giuliani, right, uh, a conspiratorial-laden name we hear a lot of, drew the scrutiny of federal investigators. And so it's things like this that start to show us that there may be other things to consider. Maybe the money was spent fine once it came into the country, but that doesn't mean there may not be some smoke and mirrors to understand. But there's another side to this coin, right? Because we do have to respect the modern internet nowadays, and there is a bunch of misinformation posted whenever something big happens, right? So naturally, Russia attacked the Ukraine in February, and right away, Twitter and other social media lit up with a lot of quotes saying that Russia owned Kirillov and that Kirillov is Russian weed. And I think we could all imagine exactly how easily that would land, right? The internet seems to be geared towards negative conspiracies. And if I were to say something truly strange, like, you know, the title of this episode, you know, it's it's a great way to sort of siphon clicks out of the internet and get more people to look at whatever you're doing. You know, the bigger, the crazier, the more insane, number one in the world kind of thinking, the more likely people are going to spend time on your social media or your website or whatever you're trying to get their attention towards. And, you know, at this point in internet history, I think we're all hyper aware of the spike of misinformation. So although we do have to kind of siphon through the flood of digital madness, um, it is something I think we do have to do daily. And so as you dig into these two gentlemen's histories, it's obvious that they're deeply involved with a lot of Russian money. But I would take a stab, you know, just more so pragmatically and say that, I mean, if you make a billion dollars in any country, you're probably going to be a known individual, right? Billion dollars is a lot of money. Not a whole lot of human beings in existence have ever been able to count that much money in their possession. But I imagine making that much, it almost requires some level of being influenced or creating influence on others because a billion dollars is a billion dollars, right? Now, that doesn't necessarily mean conspiracy, it doesn't necessarily mean that there are people who are creating these like underlying plans and ways that they want to look at the world to like control it more or you know create some level of you know negativity some atomic warfare or like you know annexing the Crimea necessarily it doesn't always mean conspiracy but it does mean that when you say certain things they might sound a little more odd because of as you say them so in 2007 uh, in 2007, our man Boris said in an op-ed in the Washington Post that he apparently was a big fan of Putin's sweeping parliamentary victory at the time. Uh, he said, I quote, that quite simply, 
Russians support their president because he did something rare for a politician. He delivered. Now, that was 15 years ago, right? So that might not age well. You know, what was Putin doing 15 years ago versus 15 days ago? It was very different things, potentially. But he went on to say that Russia today is a resurgent economic power with the 10th largest economy in the world. 80% of the economy is privatized, according to the accounts chamber of the Russian Federation, and the country is flush with oil, having overtaken Saudi Arabia as the world's leading producer. And so it does sound like our man Boris was rather pro-Russian beyond simple money. You know, he's kind of saying, huzzah, huzzah, right? Uh, thank God Russia's doing so well, probably because he was making so much money at the time. Most people are pretty big fans of the job that pays them the best, too. However, there was more. You know, when Kirillif describes their second largest shareholder, uh, the man Bloke, uh, they call him a successful retired consumer packaged goods entrepreneur who is not active in the company. They say he is a U.S. citizen who holds a Russian passport. And I think that is a very weird way to say that he is Russian-born and has gained U.S. citizenship and has a passport. You know, the language is just a little awkward. It sort of sounds like a lawyer wrote it, you know, or somebody who was like a handler, because it does sound like they're trying to say as little as possible. They're not describing his wealth. They're not describing the length of his relationships to Russia. They're really straining it down to like the most basic language you can afford. And over my short but hopefully full lifetime, I have found up to this point that when there is a problem, details usually help solve problems. You know, when there's a problem, most people say, what's going on exactly? What's happened up to this point? You know, get me up to speed so I can help with this problem. So that kind of sometimes means that when people remove details purposefully, it is sort of an interesting tactic, right? They're not trying to solve problems. And it makes my can of sense tingle. Like something shady might be nearby. But I'm just here to provide the details. You know, I'll leave the final judgments up to you out there in the audience. Feel free to look into this on your own time. And by all means, collect some data, draw your own conclusions. Because where I'm sitting, it looks very, very interesting. Not necessarily conspiratorial. But it could just be a congress of individuals who are doing the usual international profiteering greed sort of game. I do think that it will be very, very curious to see what happens if the Philadelphia County Rep Danilo Burgos does get his way and his bill comes to form. Because one of the craziest things about our modern legal system is that although it does seem very evidence-based, although... It does seem like, you know, we take the time to make sure the right judgments are being made. It is very hard to say how things will end up. You know, it could be another boring day in politics. Or we could end up with freedom fries and a hot dog. You know, you never really know how it'll end up once the court starts. And uh, with especially celebrity news, right? Anybody keeping up with the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp story. Um, it can be a hell of a circus before the tent closes. So I'll keep my thumb on this report. I don't know if we'll see too many things happen, but it will be interesting to know. And my friends, that is all I have for you today. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, you know, just a little information on what very well may be a strange James Bond kind of story about Russia, weed, and some crazy American politics. Uh, 
If you have anything to say, if you have any reactions or anything you'd like to hear about, by all means, hit me up on Instagram at thecannabis.professor. For a good source of CBD, check out chillfrogcbd.com and use code PROFESSOR30 at checkout to save 30% on any of the products that they sell. Until next time, my friends, be sure to grow knowledge and extract truth. This is The Professor.